Before he gave up blogging about digital marketing a few years ago, Danny Brown was one of the world's highest rated marketing bloggers. According to some lists, he still is. I got to know him as someone who wasn't afraid of questioning what others were writing about. Like content overload. The really ironic part is most of the people that say there's too much content continue to add to that by talking about the same topic. It's not so much the content is bad, it's the actual delivery of the content, and that's two different things. And digital being the be-all and end-all of marketing. When you, you mix different forms of marketing, so you've got the, you know, like I say, traditional display, uh, digital, etc., the purchase intent raises to 80%. If your love is for digital, it makes sense to go more into the digital you know, side. But just be aware that there is a whole other world out there you know, that still has a major impact into the results and the success of your clients or your own business. And influence marketing? We ripped, like in a nice way, but we ripped you know, social following and social influence to pieces in that book. So it's disappointing to see like five years after that, as, as good as some brands are doing, they're still influence companies uh, not brands but influence companies that are looking at audience size and you have to have a minimum of this if you want to be included and online privacy i, I think we get overworked and, and really super upset about the the lack of privacy on, on networks but it's we we agree to it you know in today's show danny talks about some of the counterpoints to things you'll hear elsewhere This is Digital Download, a podcast that explores the latest thinking in digital communications, PR, and social media. Here's your host, Paul Sutton. So, Danny, you um, you must be still basking in the glory of an MLS Cup win. <laughs> Eleven years in the making. That's almost as much as a Spurs <laughs> <it>? trophy hunt. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> it's uh, yeah, it was amazing. You know, just to because it was the same team that played last year. And, and they basically stole the cup from us. They had zero shots on goal. Their keeper was my man of the match. So it showed how much we took it to them last year. So it was nice to get a bit of revenge and finally bring it home. It was excellent. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I have no idea what the MLS Cup is. <laughs> well, it's a really weird setup. If you can imagine, the MLS Cup's kind of like the league and the FA Cup in the UK combined. Because okay. we go over a 36-game um, season, if I recall. Um, but part of that is, uh, is playoffs. So we won the, the, the Supporters' Shield, which is essentially the league equivalent in the UK. So Premier League, we won that. Okay. Um, then even though it's champions, we still had to go into playoffs against teams that came uh, potentially in sixth place to, to reach the final, which is where you go for the, the MLS Cup, which is the overall trophy. So it's a really weird, convoluted way to say you're champions. Fair enough. So how long have you been over in Canada now? Um, 2006. Um, so 11 years ago, uh, next week, actually. Cool. Okay. And no plans on coming back, I take it? Well, you've got family and everything over there now anyway, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And no, uh, you know, I'm, I'm settled here. Uh, I mean, I might retire back to Scotland, get a little button burn at the top of the Highlands or something, you know, once the, the kids have left home. But no, I'm settled here. I've got friends here, family here, like my, my job's here, you know, my life's here, essentially. So you're going to grow into a grumpy old man in in Canada, right? Well, I already am, mate. You know, I'm just <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm just expanding the grumpiness. <laughs> totally. Well, I mean, that's kind of why I've invited you on today, really. <laughs> Throughout the rest of this this season one of this podcast, we've been looking at various different things happening in the world of communications and digital. But I know you as being someone who isn't afraid to speak his mind, put it that way. 
So I thought it'd be interesting to to talk to you really to get a bit of a counterpoint on some of the things that people will be hearing and an alternative opinion, really, so they don't just get swept up in everything that's written and heard online. And that, we, we both know how easy that is to do, right? <laughs> totally. So I guess the starting point is something that I know you have an opinion on, which differs from a lot of other people. The whole area of kind of content overload and the amount of volume of content that's out there at the moment. I mean, if you read all the stats, there's no doubt that there's more content produced now than there has been a long time. But I know you have a different view on perhaps why brands aren't doing a great job at making a success of that at the moment. Yeah, and and I don't dispute, you know, we... we... We've talked about this before. I don't dispute the fact that there is more content on the web and it's increasing every day, but it's I, I don't think you can blame the amount of content on, you know, the the value it brings or the the overload, like you say. I mean, I mean if you think about, okay, we have X amount of millions of blogs out there, you know, uh, content creators via either podcast or YouTube or, or whatever, whatever channel they're using. But you've also got to remember that as much as there's more content and, and types of content coming online, there's more users coming online as well. You've got, I mean, if you look at uh, Statista, um, just look at some of the web statistics that they've got over there. And obviously, you can dive deeper into it if you want to. But I mean, just at a high level um, overlook, you've got 200 million users every year um, are coming online. Um, broadband is increasing across new markets. So there's always going to be a new audience that has never had access to certain types of content because their access has been limited by, you know, the, the, a lack of broadband and, and actually, you know, the ability to access that content. Uh, mobile traffic, um, if you look at like last year, there was seven terabytes per month of mobile traffic. By 2021, that's expected to jump to 49 terabytes per month. So access is increasing all the time. Uh, the type of content that you can access because of the new ways to access content is increasing. So yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of content going up online and a lot of it is crap uh, and a lot of it is good. And, and there's some brands doing it really well, uh, some brands not doing it well, but I don't think it's the amount of content because there's always going to be an audience. Like, look at the success of Instant Pop, right? We we just bought one uh, last week, but that's been like a huge success for the last maybe 12 to 18 months. So, so now you've got an explosion of recipes coming online for newbies to the Instant Pop market. Now, are you mm-hmm. saying that, or not you, but you in the genetic sense, <laughs> are you saying that people don't want to consume that content because there's too much of it. There's always going to be different recipes from different people with different flavors, et cetera, that people will look for based on their culinary taste and their, their family's taste. So again, I don't think it's a fact that there's a, too much content. I think there's too much content. And you know, I think the, the really ironic part is most of the people that say there's too much content continue to add to that by talking about the same topic. Right. So, you know, change it up a bit or, or else you're just part of the, the overall content problem yeah 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 it's an interesting point i mean yeah access to access to the web as you as you point out is is now well i mean it's it's becoming greater and greater in different parts of the world so it kind of makes sense i guess that there's more demand for content in a way You, you made a point there about some brands producing crap content effectively do you think that is essentially the problem that is happening that's why there's not this traction that people hope through content marketing well, yeah, I, I mean, it's like any kind of a marketing or advertising. You know, if if you're messing up the message, you don't understand how to get that particular message out, whether it's through an ad, a piece of content, you know, a newsletter or whatever. If you're not sure of, A, what the message is to the, the, you know, the audience that you're trying to target, then it's going to be wrong for that audience and it's going to be perceived as being ineffective because it is ineffective, right? 
and it's it's either bad advice from say agencies, marketing consultants, uh, in-house teams, or whatever, um, or just lack of understanding and continue to do things the same way we've done for say the last 10, 20, 30 years, and not adapting to the format that you're using. Yeah, you know the, the the PC content itself might be great. You, you know, it just might be the delivery. For example, you might be sending a non-mobile optimized message or ad out to primarily mobile users on social. Mm-hmm. So it's just little things like that where, you know, if you're not optimizing it for who you're going after, then of course it's going to be seen as as poor content. Even if the message is great, the content delivery and the you know the display is is bad. The presentation is bad. Yeah. And maybe that's where we're getting you know sucked in. It's not so much the content is bad; it's the actual delivery of the content, and that's two different things. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Which links to another of kind of your points at the moment of something maybe different than other people are saying, which is there is a big fuss around the death of traditional media at the moment. I mean, I, I can point you to graphs which show you know the decline in in press circulations and stuff. But again, I think you have a maybe a different view on that. <laughs> um, I, I think it's a, a maybe a correlator review. I'm not sure. Um, I don't even know okay. if that's a word or not. You know, I'm probably pulling out Trumpisms here, left, right, and center. But um, no, I mean, like, I my background's corporate traditional marketing, but I've been doing digital for the last ten to almost fifteen years now as a a complementary piece to traditional. And I, I think it comes down to a few things, and and scale and size of business has a lot to do with it. We know that digital is pretty much less expensive when it comes to you know the how targeted you can get and how much you know how much uh, budget you need to spend to to get to that targeted audience versus say a, a big print ad or a, a display uh, sorry a, you know a, a magazine ad or a big bar, billboard yep. banner or whatever we know the cost is, is less for digital but what you've got to remember is it's, it's not just about the the outputs what you're seeing you know coming back the way so i mean if you you think Digital is less expensive and you can be more targeted than traditional, but the recall reach, um, which is where people recall a brand based on you know how many times they've seen an ad or where they saw the ad, etc. Yeah. The recall reach for digital is only sitting at about thirty percent. This is like from a, a Bain and Company study they released just last year. Okay. And they they, they went through a bunch of agencies, a bunch of um, big brands, and where they were spending their dollars across the four main markets, you know, traditional, print, uh, mobile, etc. What they discovered so for uh, for digital ads, there was a thirty percent recall reach. For traditional, so display, TV, radio, you know, flyers, etc., yeah. there was a sixty percent recall reach. So what you've got to balance it with is okay, we may be spending more on traditional, but if the recall reach is say double what it is for digital. What does that mean to the bottom line? Are we getting more, you know, bang for the buck for uh, traditional? Yeah based on what our budget was to actually get that bank. So that, that's one of the things you've got to, to look at. Um, what they also found, and and I found this, you know, I just finished working for the government in Ontario, and we did a lot of omnichannel marketing um, across, you know, different media. And we always found that whenever we did a, a primarily digital campaign, it had to be supported by traditional media and mobile media and other forms of media okay. to really get the the bang for your buck. And, and the Bain and Company report even shares that as well. When you you mix different forms of marketing, so you've got the you know like I say, traditional display, uh, digital, etc., the purchase intent raises to eighty percent. Okay. Um, for the target customers, as opposed to when you do an individual digital 
campaign or a individual traditional campaign, whatever, they balance each other out. They run about 40 to 50%. Uh, so they're, they're both pretty much similar to each other. But when you do omnichannel, it rises to 80%. That's a huge increase for purchase intent. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. People talk about traditional advertising, Dan, but again, it comes back down to the end goal. Who's the audience and what are they consuming? If you're going after a millennial, sure, it might be mobile and say, you know, some of the newer networks like Snapchat, etc. But if your audience is, say, the, the boomers, that's still primarily going to be your traditional marketing. Um, so really, it's it's understanding the audience and, and what they're still looking at and then ways to complement that based on, you know, other mediums that you have at your fingertips. Yeah, and, and you're talking, I mean, you're using the word advertising there specifically. Are you talking about advertising or do you mean marketing? No, I mean, in, in general, like marketing advertising, like whatever you're using to go after. And, and again, it all comes back to using it, you know, complementary to each other. Do we buy display ads to support, you know, social marketing? Do we uh, buy social ads to support uh, print marketing, you know, or print advertising, whatever? So it's all... Again, it's using the channel and understanding that when you complement and fully immerse a campaign with more than just the one channel, you get the, the bigger return on it. What's your view on how editorial and PR and the, and the comms side fits with that? I mean, in, in your experience with, with all this stuff, does that still hold true for, for that side of things as far as you're aware? Yeah, and, and again, especially now that we're looking, you know, we're seeing more uh, companies go the, the purely content route, yep. you know, where they're using inbound and they're using all the, the tools at their, their fingertips to, to go the inbound route. PR's, you know, evolving. I mean, you, yourself, Ginny, and people like that, you, you do a great job in actually moving it beyond, hey, we can get you, you know, 20,000 impressions yeah. or, you know, yeah. um, X amount of hits or whatever, and you actually move it into metrics that matter. And, and you know, the, the campaigns are built with a very strategic goal as opposed to being seen maybe, you know, either wrongly or rightly or wrongly in the past, maybe been seen as the, the the part that comes in just to smooth things over when a campaign goes wrong. Yeah. No PR is more involved from the start, right? And this is what needs to happen. PR, market, and advertising needs to work together as opposed to, hey, this is our job, this is our job, this is our job, and back off kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's one thing that um, I, I run workshops around the country now, and it's one thing that I've been, I wouldn't say pushing, but certainly talking about is, the need for people to move more towards uh, digital from a from a comm standpoint as much as anything. I expect there'll be people listening to this who will be very happy to hear you say, actually, maybe that's not the case, or at least not fully the case. Well, that's it. And I, and I think it comes down to, A, what, what you want to do. If your love is for digital, it makes sense to go more into the digital you know, side. But just be aware that there is a whole other world out there, you know, that still has a major impact into the results and the success of your clients or your own business and vice versa. So I think it's it's understanding that, you know, I mean, how many times have we heard that email is going to be dead this year, yeah, yeah. next year, the year after, right? It's still here and it's still driving excellent results. So I, I think at the end of the day, as long as a medium still has, you know, use and it's effective for a business, it's going to be around. It may have lesser use, but it doesn't mean it's ineffective. Sure. Another thing that well linked to that really is, the things that people are using to measure campaigns and build budgets around, which continue to be a bit of a problem, I think. I've certainly seen it in this country where people are starting to move forward a bit better, but are still using metrics that don't mean a lot to the business at the end of the day. Right. And, and you know, I think a lot of that as well, it, it comes down to sort of in-house teams not really understanding what metrics are or what success metrics looks like for them yep. um, because they're still being guided by their agency or their, their, 
you know, their own in-house exec or whatever who doesn't understand the the metrics. But yeah, I mean, we, we have to get past the the clippings for PR, for example, you know, newspaper clippings. Yeah. We have to get back past the impressions. Because, yeah, I mean, okay, impressions, for me, impressions don't mean a lot. No, I agree, I agree. You know, and reach is a little bit more value because it's potential, you know, to be seen. Impressions are the hope it's been seen. But if you think, you know, I could put an ad on Facebook and if it's on, if you're on the desktop and it's on that little sidebar, the marketplace, for example, I don't have to see that ad, but it's an, it's an impression counted because I'm looking at something in my newsfeed. Yeah. Same goes if I'm on mobile and there's a video ad playing underneath the, the piece I'm reading yeah. and Facebook takes that as a, a view, even though you only have to have a three second play on a Facebook video to be seen as a view. So, you know, it doesn't help when companies are, are making metrics that really mean nothing because what can you get over in, say, three seconds in a, a video? So, yeah, impressions to me aren't worth a heck of a lot. So it really comes down to what's your goal and what's the metrics are going to help you reach that goal. So if it's awareness, is it a, a campaign on social, for example, that drives to a landing page on a website that explains about a company? If it's, you know, if it's, if it's purchase or downloads, what's the... What's the goal that you have to set up for that? What's the, the success metrics? Do you look at, say, 500 downloads of an ebook or 500 signups of a, a webinar as a success metric? And it comes back to, well, how many people did you actually get to visit that page versus how many signed up? And was that you know part of the, the success metric you were looking for? So I think you have to tie the metrics to what your goals are. And is it awareness? Is it purchase? Is it more about you know growing a list to actually market to afterward? Is it growing a donation base? It's so... The, the metrics have to re- relate to the actual goals that you've got set. And I don't think impressions means a lot. I mean, who cares if I got 3 million impressions of an ad? How many people actually clicked through and, and did anything on that ad? If I got two click-throughs, that's not a successful campaign. No, absolutely. Uh, from a Because uh, you obviously uh, have a, a broad overview of different marketing elements. From my impression of what I see, a lot of those sort of impressions and that sort of stuff are used by advertising companies. Would you agree with that? Yeah, no, for sure. And- and I know like agencies we've used in the past that some of the, the businesses have been at still want to include and that, that's primarily advertising agencies yeah. because they're looking at, you know, they're looking at the, say, Google's uh, ad network, for example, and they're, they're not looking at, say, either final touch point or what drove that final action. They're just looking at CPAs and potentially, you know, yeah, CTRs and, and that's fine. But if it's not what the client's actually going to make, make the client successful, it's not really worthwhile metrics. And it's, it's, I think the advertising, they're getting better, but I think the advertising industry as a whole is still collecting a lot of metrics that don't make sense, you know, for, say from the client facing point of view, makes perfect sense for the important of the, the, the advertising company, not for clients. No, I, I totally agree. And I've, I've seen it with clients that I've worked on have been working with advertisers who produce some really big, lovely numbers. But at the end of the day, there's a big so what factor. And I think, uh, again, going back to PR, people have always said that about PR, so what, but it applies to other industries as well. It really does. No, no, for sure. Yeah. Kind of linked to that, in, in the area of influence marketing, again, there is a lot of misunderstanding of what influence is and how influence works. And I see time and time again, influence being measured by how many followers a person has on Instagram or, or whatever. What are your views on that at the moment? No, and for sure. I mean, I got a pitch the other week for a, an influence company. Um, I don't know if it was Tap Influence or someone like that. or But essentially, they, they had a campaign that they felt I'd be a fit for based on my blog. And I'm, clearly, they hadn't read my blog in a long time because I haven't spoken about marketing for a while on my blog. Yeah. So they the reference a post from 2013, I think, and says, based on this post, we think you'd be an ideal fit for our client. Felt, okay. So I thought, okay, I'll check it out. And I looked at the, the requirements, if you like, to, to be part of the program. And it was, yeah, you had to have like 5,000 Instagram 
Instagram followers, 20,000 Twitter followers, and so on. I'm thinking, what does that mean? You know, why, why, why bother? Yeah. These followers, that brands, you know, target audience. So it's just the fact that it's a, a large number. So yeah, and, and that's still happening. I mean, I'm over at uh, Sam's house today, actually. Yeah. yeah. And like, we wrote that book back in, we started writing it back in 2012 and it came out in 2013. So it's almost five years old and we're still getting companies, you know, talking today about audience size or potential audience size, etc. as opposed to, okay, what's the makeup of that audience? What's the percentage of that audience? So let's say I've got 100,000 Twitter followers. What's the percentage or the ratio breakdown of the ones that are relevant for the brand that wanted to work with me on this particular campaign, for example? Are they using the right medium? Because if I'm if the brand's a very visual brand and most of my followers aren't on Instagram, for example, or you know they've not got a Pinterest account, does that immediately minimize the effect of the campaign because they're not going to be seeing the stuff I post on Instagram because they're following me Twitter, for example. Yep. So yeah, it's influence. It's, it's great to see there's a lot of companies doing really cool stuff at the minute um, around influence and using campaigns and, and, and really getting to the nitty gritty of what success looks like and what true influence looks like. But it's, 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 it's also disappointing to get a pitch almost five years after our book came out that, that I mean, we ripped like in a nice way, <laughs> but we ripped, you know, social following and social influence to pieces in that book. Yeah, yeah. So it's disappointing to see like five years after that, as, as good as some brands are doing, they're still influence companies, yeah. uh, not brands, but influence companies that are looking at audience size and you have to have a minimum of this if you want to be included. Yeah, I, I agree. I Funnily enough, I had one um, even this week. Uh, it was about a post I'd written, oh, back in the summer, and it was related to Related to the sports industry. And so I had a pitch this week for running sports content on my blog. And again, <laughs> it's the same thing. I have no interest in that whatsoever. Yeah. And the thing that gets me with these sorts of things is you then get a follow-up email saying, did you get this? Which you think, well, uh, I don't know. It just does my head in the whole, the whole area of it, actually. But um, I wanted to talk to you about privacy on social networks as well. Again, I know that's an area that you have... Uh, quite an opinion about at the moment yeah and, and you know it changes over the years and i guess it'll change next year i don't know but um back in the, the time roundabout when sam and i did write the, the book i i we were big opponents of of clout in the way it, it created an, a profile for you regardless if you wanted it or not and yeah. you know if you're a public profile on twitter you were game and i thought that was you know that's overstepping the boundaries you can't just take that's like me taking a picture of of, of your kids um at their christmas party and posting on my network and say well you know what it was a christmas party so your kids are fair game for me to you know to, to post on my networks or whatever um it's just it's not on yeah. but I, what i get annoyed at, i think is yes we we know that um facebook and you know google primarily facebook though Netflix, they just came out there last week. Uh, they trolled um, 53 of their users. They said, oh, to the 53 users that walked uh, that watched The Christmas Prince every day for the last 14 days, what were you thinking? And people were up in arms about, wow, this is a big brother. Netflix are, are monitoring our every move. But I'm thinking, what did you expect? You know, you, you've signed up. Yeah. You've essentially given over your privacy when you sign up. And the fact that you share so much content on a daily basis, I, I just think that we get so annoyed about the lack of privacy. But at the end of the day, we don't have to sign up. We don't have to give so much information ac across. Uh -huh. uh, there was a piece earlier this week about why you shouldn't buy your family the Google Home or the Amazon Echo because it's it's listening to you. It's always switched on. It's listening to you and it can report back to Amazon or it can report back to Google. Yep. What do you think our smartphones are doing? What do you think our emails are doing? You know, <laughs> when you jump into Gmail and you see the sidebar with ads on it, why do you think these ads are so relevant to the emails you're, you know, sending and receiving? Yeah. So I, I think we get overworked and, and really super upset about the, the lack of privacy on, on networks, but 
it's we we agree to it, you know. Yeah. Do Do you think then that it's a case that we should just suck it up and get on with it, or do you think we should take more responsibility for you know what we are signing up to? I mean, you know, you you, you sign up to Facebook or you use voice recognition on your phone. You're right. You are giving away data. You you it'd be silly to think you're not. Do you do you think it's just that's the way it is, and we need to just suck it up? Well, I think it's been that way for a while. I mean, let's face it, if, if we don't think that we're being monitored by our own governments, then we're kind of naive, right? And that's only increased in the last like, 10 to 15 years. So yeah, I mean, it's I, I think it's a mixture of both, Paul. I think it's, um, we know what we're signing up for, or we should know what we're signing up for, and we can limit what we share. We can keep our networks locked down to friends only. We can, yep. we can stop certain people viewing our posts. We can limit their ad experiences and what we share, what data we share to ad companies. You know, the networks offer us these, uh, these opportunities and these options, but a lot of people don't take advantage of it and then complain about the, the lack of privacy. So I think we all, we need to be a careful and mindful of what we're sharing and, and just think, okay, if you wouldn't share this offline with close friends and family, do you want to share it online with people you kind of know, but you don't really know? So I think it's about both. We have to be aware of what we're doing, but also be cognizant of the fact that once you click that sign up button your life is pretty much over from a privacy angle unless you really you know limit what you're sharing sure do you think it's an education job let's say you go into your facebook settings it's notoriously difficult with all the different bits that you know and a lot of people don't really even know that the stuff's there now whose fault is that is that their fault is it an education job by facebook is it a wider education job by I don't know, people like me, for example. Yeah, I think it's both. I mean, Facebook's notorious for, for making it as difficult as possible for you to really lock down what your account looks like and who gets to see your stuff and what stuff you see first. Um, and I know they keep changing their stuff every year or so, and they, they tell us that they're making it easier and more suited to our, our own experience. And, and we know that's not the case. It's more suited to the Facebook experience, and we're just along for the ride. But, yeah, I mean, Facebook has to do a better job of explaining and making it simple, they're getting better when it comes to privacy, actually, because they, they keep popping up now and again. Hey, we noticed that you someone likes something that you're not connected with. You can yep. check your privacy settings here. Yep. Um, so they're getting good at that, but they still need overall to make sure, and especially for kids, now that they're making a, a messenger for kids, yep. which I don't agree with whatsoever, but no, now that they're making that. it, yeah, and they've got a huge responsibility to make sure they get that right. Otherwise, there's like massive blowback coming on that. But yeah, so they need, Facebook need to do a better job. But yeah, definitely, you know, uh, folks that have been around since the early days of social need to do a better job of explaining it to either audience, whether that's an agency, a blog, whatever, clients, but also their own families. You know, my, my wife's... Uh, She's like she's got a couple of networks, but she hates social media full stop. So she doesn't really use it that much. But yeah. she's sensible enough to to lock down the stuff that she's uh, posting and not allow people to post stuff on her wall without approval, etc. Yeah. So little things like that where we educate and, and our kids especially, we have to educate our kids. Look, this this is what can you know this is what this network can see about you and can know about you, you know, and, and make sure that they're aware of the dangers, for lack of a better word, of you know signing up to a network and and being wary of who is on the other side of the phone, for example. It's not always the person you think it is, right? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the Facebook Messenger for kids there. It it makes me really uncomfortable, I have to say. Don't like it at all, but we'll have to see, won't we, I guess? I mean, they said they're introducing it, so... Well, yeah, it's, you know, the the horse is already bolted, so now it's just to make make sure that that stable's well-maintained. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, we're kind of running out of time at the moment. There's one quick question I wanted to ask you, which was related to kind of your activity that you carry out nowadays. 
back when I first got to know you, which would have been quite a, several years ago now, you were blogging a lot about marketing and things, but you were blogging, I don't know, three, five times a week. And your own activity has, obviously, the nature of your blog has changed completely since then. But now you're blogging far, far less frequently. Is, is, is that anything to do with any of the stuff we've talked about, like, you know, content overload or any of that stuff? Or is it just a natural way it's um, evolved? Um, I think part of it is the content overload, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, you know, I, I, st- I stopped talking about marketing, I think it was uh, 2015, maybe 2014 or yeah. 2015, I think, because I, and I wrote a post about it. it was just, I found there was too much people right, sharing Me Too stuff and the same old content about, well, 50 ways to in- increase your brand <laughs> perception, whatever. And I got tired of all that, so I wanted to, to do more personal stuff and not be part of that that whole contribution. And I enjoy the more personal stuff, so I, I sort of veer towards that. I also got two young kids that, that take up a lot of my time. So now that, that change, you know yourself, we spoke about you've got three kids, Paul, then yeah. your perspective changes, right? And yeah, absolutely. what you want from life changes. So, and now I, I, I started a craft beer blog back in the summer that yep. takes up a lot more of my time. And that's fun. I, I really enjoy that. A, because it's beer, um, <laughs> you know, um, and B, because I've got like six or seven, eight other uh, contributors that really keep the, the content machine going, if you like. And that's fun. We get out to events and, you know, beer festivals and such as, and we have little get-togethers. So, yeah, now on my own personal blog, it's more about what I want to write about and when do I want to write about it, as opposed to feeling the need to write about it and, and nothing to worry about if I get shares or eyeballs on it or whatever. Do you actually still do? Well, do you still do you measure that stuff at the moment? Do you look at it? Um, I do and I don't. I don't measure it in a way that I used to. Um, I'll look at the search terms. I'll look at the content that's uh, still relevant, and I'll look at some of the, the the traffic. You know where it's been referred from to see why it got referred from there. Given that I haven't spoken about say marketing yep. much on my blog for the last two years or so, yep. so I'll look at it that way. But I won't look at it for topics to write or. You know, whereas I used to look for trends or whatever to, to focus on a topic yep. and try ride the wave of that, that search um, engine, you know, query. Now it's just about, oh, God, that's interesting. You know, I, I never knew people were still looking for that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. But it's useful because if I then want to, you know, take it to my work or whatever, it might be something that I can do to a business blog. Sure. Well, listen, thank you very much for spending half an hour with me today. I really appreciate it. Do you just want to tell people uh, where they can find you online? Yeah, sure. So if you do want to read uh, a very infrequent blog, uh, you can find me at dannybrown.me. And on Twitter and uh, online, you can now check out the craft beer stuff I do. So it's uh, Craft Beers blog on Twitter and craftbeerdiaries.com on, online. And if you jump over there, you'll get other different channels like YouTube, Instagram, etc. Lovely. Thank you very much for your time, Danny. Cheers, mate. Have a good one. If you've enjoyed today's show, you should check out Digital Download Live, the interactive digital marketing conference for PR, comms and digital media professionals. It's happening on the 26th of April in London, and we'll be covering many of the topics addressed in this podcast, including developments in influence marketing, artificial intelligence, Facebook marketing, messaging and voice recognition. You can find more information and book tickets at digitaldownload.training. And you can contact me on Twitter where I'm at the Paul Sutton or by email at paul at paulsutton.co. Thanks for listening.